We've had divisions over how the Holy Spirit can dwell within humanity and the Holy Spirit's relationship with human beings. It has led to splits in the Methodist Church back in the 1800s over slavery and over how we treat persons of color. And now we're at a point again where we're, we're maybe about to see another split in the United Methodist Church this time and, and over issues that very much are about the Holy Spirit and about the Holy Spirit's relationship with humanity. So this morning, I want to start with this. I think that our holiness movement needs to get back in touch with the Holy Spirit. I think our holiness movement needs to get back in touch, needs to remember the Holy Spirit. Because when I rattled off what the Holy Spirit does, it brings order, it brings goodness, it brings comfort, it brings guidance, it brings unity. Do those things sound good to you right now? Does that sound like an antidote to the things that we're seeing? So maybe the secret to what we need for a church as a denomination, not just as Lover's Lane, but as a global denomination, maybe that secret lies within how we think about, how we talk about, and how we live with the Holy Spirit. So this, this week, let's look at the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts, you can think of it this way, it's essentially the gospel of Luke part two, right? Luke, was a, he, was a, he was a smart guy. He wrote a sequel <laughs> to the gospel. He said, hey, this one sold great. Let's do another one. You know, he was a, the world's first Hollywood executive. He said, let's do a sequel. Book of Acts is essentially Gospel of Luke Part 2. And if the Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus and what Jesus does to establish this new kind of faith, the, the Book of Acts is really about the Holy Spirit. And it's about this new thing called the Christian church. And it's about the Holy Spirit's movements through this movement that is still figuring out very much what it is and what it's about. And it's in chapter 10 that we see this very simple story about two men. One named Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, and one named Peter, who is the chief leader in the Christian movement. And the Holy Spirit is going to bring these two men together. And out of this relationship, everything, everything in the Christian movement is going to change. And it's all because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. So let's understand who these two men are before we go any further. Peter, as I said, this is Peter from the Gospels. This is Peter, the numero uno disciple. This is Peter, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter, Peter, right? And in and, and the original language, his name meant rock. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my rock upon this church. This is Peter. This is Jesus' right-hand man. This is the guy that knows everything there is to know about what Christianity is about. But one other thing we need to keep in mind about Peter as we go into this text, is that Peter loved Jesus as much as anybody. And Peter witnessed Jesus' execution and torture on a cross at the hands of who? Roman centurions. The face of the Roman Empire. The hands and feet of the Roman state. Peter, Peter saw his best friend, his Messiah, his Savior, get beaten and whipped and stabbed in the side and hands and feet pierced and hung up on a cross and spat upon and made fun of and humiliated and crowned with a crown of thorns. He saw this, and, and the people responsible were centurions. And Cornelius is a centurion. That's the important thing to know about Cornelius is that he is a centurion, and he lives in this place called Caesarea. And he has command over a, a battalion of men. And, and the Holy Spirit's going to meet Cornelius in the beginning of this chapter. And he's going to ask him to do something a little bit weird. And it's going to be this relationship that develops that doesn't make sense. 
and everything's going to change as a result. Let's pray over our text this morning, and then let's dig in. Gracious God, I ask that you would meet us in this place, you'd meet us in your word this morning, that you would bring to life a chapter of the Bible that, honestly, we may never have even read before. God, I ask that you would speak to us through this simple relationship between Cornelius and Peter, that you would, you would remind us of what the Holy Spirit is capable of if we would only invite you in. In your sons and we pray, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit, then we're going to read a little bit, then we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to read a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit. Sound good? It's good. I'm in charge, so it doesn't really matter if you care. All right. So let's start with Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers, the angel said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, different Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. All right, let's stop here for a second. A couple things to notice. Number one, Cornelius is like the definition of spiritual but not religious, right? Like this, is, this is nothing new. We like to talk about, today everyone's like spiritual. But no, Cornelius is spiritual but not religious. He, he's praying to God, but he doesn't even really know who God is. He's offering alms. He's offering prayers. He's a, he's a spiritual man. He wants to know who God is. And yet, we're going to find that he doesn't really understand a lot about this Christian God that he's going to come to know. The other thing to keep in mind is that the Holy Spirit's asking him to do something kind of weird. Did you, did you catch it? It's almost humorous, this request. It says, hey, uh, send some of your guys down to Joppa, which is about a 12-hour hike if you're walking it from Caesarea to Joppa. It's about a 12-hour hike. He says, send some guys down there. You're going to look for a guy uh, who was named Simon, but now he's named Peter, but he lives with another guy named Simon, and just bring him up. Okay, like nothing else, Holy Spirit, no, no sort of like, and then you'll be shown the gospel truth, or, and your life will be, no, he just says, okay, yeah, send some guys 12 hours south, and, and, and go to Simon's house, and ask for another guy named Simon, whose name isn't really Simon, but it's actually Peter, and bring him back up here, right? It's, it's ridiculous. This is ridiculous ass, that if you or I got a message from the Holy Spirit to do something like this, we'd be like, no, what? That's, can I have a little bit more God? How many of us like to know a little bit more before we put our skin in the game on something, yeah? Is it hard to sign up for something when you know, like, nothing about it? Is it hard to trust in something when you know, like, nothing about it? And yet Cornelius says, okay, okay. I'll send some guys 12 hours south to a guy named Simon's house to another guy in there whose name is not Simon but actually Peter, and I'm going to bring him back up here. That's what I'm going to do. And this little intro that is so easy to skip over, what it shows me, every time the Holy Spirit acts, and, and, and when it acts through other people, uh, it reminds me of something, it's, today's going to be all about, it's not complicated, but it is difficult, right? that's going to be the common theme today, it's not complicated, but it is difficult, what the Holy Spirit shows me is that the Holy Spirit will always act me to, act, to ask me to act first out of trust, 
and that is hard for me to do. That is hard for me to do, especially when I don't have all the information. Who likes to have all the information? Anybody? Yeah, most of us. Most of us. I'm a researcher. If, I, if I'm going to buy anything, i got to go on and find every single review that's ever been made. Yeah? Anybody else? Yes. Like, I, I can't just leap. I can't leap without looking. That's foolish. That's how you jump off a cliff and die, right? But the Holy Spirit asks us to first act out of trust. Cornelius has no idea what Peter is going to bring him. He has no idea who Peter is. But he's sending some guys 12 hours south to a guy named Simon's house to pick up another guy whose name was Simon but now is Peter. The Holy Spirit asks us to act out of trust. That's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Let's keep reading. Picking up in verse 9. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the cedar Peter, city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, I feel you, Peter, and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He was getting hangry. He saw the, he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air, things that you were not supposed to eat by Jewish standards. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. He's saying, this goes against everything I've been taught. The voice said to him again a second time, and when God repeats himself, you'd better listen. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. You know, Peter's been told things three times before, but that's another sermon for another day. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. In world, during World War I, there was a group of American soldiers in France, and one of their friends had died during battle. So they took his body, and they went to the local Catholic church and in this village in France, and they asked the priest if they could have him buried in the cemetery. And the priest asked them if he was Catholic. They said, no. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I can only have Catholics in the cemetery. That's the rule. But tell you what, let's have him buried right outside the fence. We'll put him as close as we can, but I, I just can't have him in the cemetery because he's not Catholic. So they do, they, they bury him outside the fence, and um, they go home, and they come back the next day to pay homage to their friend, and they notice something weird about the fence. It's been moved around the grave of their friend. They go to the priest, they say, what, what's up with the fence? He said, I couldn't sleep last night. I was so grief-stricken over the fact that your friend was not inside the cemetery, so I got up and I moved the fence. So now your friend's in the cemetery where he belongs. The Holy Spirit meets Peter in this bizarre vision of a sheet with food. And what the Holy Spirit's doing is the Holy Spirit is asking Peter to move the fence. He's saying, for your whole life, you've been taught that there are rules and regulations. You've been taught that there are some things you eat and some things you don't. You've been taught that, that men need to be circumcised if they want to believe in God. You've been taught these kind of things, and I'm asking you now to move the fence. That what God has said is clean and not profane, don't say it's unclean or profane. 
Now keep in mind that, Je- that Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years? Don't you think you'd learn some things? I hope I would. I mean, he is the great rabbi after all. It's not the teacher's fault if you're not learning something, right? Peter had walked with Jesus for three years as his right-hand man. Don't you think he'd heard Jesus say something about including outsiders at some point? I mean, we can go back in the Gospel of Luke. This is Book of Acts Part 1. We can go back and read the times when Jesus was saying, yes, we should be including outsiders. We should be expanding the fence. But it doesn't hit home with Peter until the Holy Spirit makes it real. And this teaches me something about the Holy Spirit. It's not complicated, but it's also not easy either. It's the, the Holy Spirit's going to ask us to move the fence. And beyond just that, the Holy Spirit will take things that we think we know and make them things that we know we believe. Has there ever been a part of your faith that you thought you knew? You know, you'd learned about it, you'd heard someone talk about it, you'd read about it in the Bible, but it just wasn't real. And then something in you changed, there was an experience, there was a moment, there was some sort of, maybe you had a crazy vision, but somehow the Holy Spirit put in your heart what had been in your head. You know, that that takes us back to the origins of the holiness movement with John Wesley. John Wesley was a trained priest. He'd gone to seminary. He knew everything. He'd gone to Georgia. He'd failed at planting a church. He came back to England. And it wasn't until he went to this meeting of a group called Moravians and he felt his heart, not his head, his heart, strangely warmed. That his faith was real for the very first time. The Holy Spirit doesn't really care too much about what's going on in your head. The Holy Spirit cares a whole lot about what's going on in your heart. Jesus is the great rabbi, but the Holy Spirit's going to take that knowledge and say, okay, but do you believe it, or do you just say you know it? There's a big difference in faith, y'all. There's a big difference in faith there. So Peter gets this crazy vision of the fence being moved, of, of this food being lifted up, and of God saying, don't say something I've made clean is unclean. And then, and then, Cornelius' people arrive. So let's keep reading, beginning in verse 25. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. Spiritual, but not religious, right? He doesn't understand who Peter is. He doesn't understand how this Christian faith things work. Spiritual, but not religious, Cornelius. Peter made him get up, saying, stand up, I am only mortal. The most humble words Peter's ever uttered in his life. Peter had an issue with the, with the ego. But he says, and as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. He's saying, you guys know that I shouldn't be here. But you invited me. But he says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? There's a lot there. First, Cornelius doesn't understand who Peter is. He's sent for this guy that he assumes must be some sort of savior. Falls on his feet and worships. Peter says, whoa, 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 that's not me. And then he reminds him, he says, now y'all know that I'm not even supposed to be here. You invited a Jew to come and speak to a whole room of Gentiles, even though you know that we're not allowed to do this, right? I, I wish I could have been in the room to see the tension building right then, like, oh, man, is he about to, like, give us a tongue lashing? And then he says something profound. He says, but God has shown me. Can we have that back on the screen where he, where he, he has his longer list of what he says? 
I want to get the words just right. He says, you yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me. He doesn't say that I should eat whatever I want. He doesn't say uh, that, that you can eat whatever you want. He says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. That's a profound statement. I've seen some people try to read this chapter of the Bible and say, eh, it's not about people, it's about food. It's an explanation of why they didn't follow dietary customs and why people didn't have to be circumcised in the early church. Hogwash. Peter got a different lesson, didn't he? Did Peter say, you know, God's shown me that birds are tasty? No. He didn't say, you know, pig is good. That's not what he said. He said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. That's the lesson that Peter gets. So why should we get a different one? I think about Peter walking up to meet Cornelius for the very first time. I like to imagine Cornelius was dressed in his full regalia, you know, with his plume and his, like, studly, like, armor with, like, the weird nipples on the chest. You know, I don't know what that was about. Um... I like to imagine Peter walking up to him, and I, 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 I wish I could have been inside his head to, to know what he was thinking. Because, you know, we, we live in a culture of snap judgments, don't we? We live in a culture that, that loves labels and loves to make judgments about people before we even meet them. Oh, we love it. A week ago, I was on Facebook, and I posted that racism is bad, and we shouldn't call the, the continent of Africa an asshole, and I was called a liberal twat in a private message from a dude I hadn't spoken to in 10 years. Don't tell me we don't love snap judgments and labels. I want to read something to you. I want you to imagine that you are the owner of a National Football League organization, a team in the National Football League, and your scouts have brought to you a report on a quarterback that you might could draft. They say this, poor build, skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, lacks mobility, and ability to avoid the rush, lacks a really strong arm, cannot drive the ball downfield, does not throw a really tight spiral, gets knocked down easily. Sounds like the future of your franchise, right? Now I want you to imagine that you own that same team, you drafted this poor kid, it's 2001, it's week two, and your star quarterback goes down, gets injured. You've got two losses and no wins on the season. A famous sports writer at the time, he does these power rankings where he ranks all the teams. He's got you dead last. And he says this in his little write-up on you. He says, whew, quarterback is injured. This is sad. Honestly, I don't know what weapons they have with which to win a game. Future's not looking bright for you, is it? And you've got this poor, skinny, sad sack, can't drive the ball downfield kid ready to take over. The next week making his NFL debut as a starting quarterback was Tom Brady. Tom Brady. And for the next 17 years, an era of darkness took over. Now, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually talking about Tom Brady in a positive light in a sermon. I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> Tom Brady led that team, that 0-2 team, as a rookie quarterback, rookie for all intents and purposes, led that team to a Super Bowl victory that year, has led them to the playoffs every year but two since then, for like the last 20 years. He's won five Super Bowls. He lost two other ones. He holds 
here's all the records he currently holds. Regular season wins by a starting quarterback, division titles, playoff games started, playoff wins, playoff touchdown passes, playoff passing yards, Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl MVPs, Super Bowl touchdown passes, Super Bowl passing yards. Poor build, skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, lacks mobility and ability to avoid the rush, lacks a really strong arm, can't drive the ball downfield, does not throw a really tight spiral, gets knocked down easily. Have you ever scouted someone out unfairly? Have you ever been scouted out unfairly? Before someone even met you, before you even met a person, you'd made up your mind? Skinny, lacks mobility. Church, I got something to tell you. If we're going to try to scout out who belongs in the kingdom of God, we're going to have a bad time. It doesn't work like that. Imagine if Peter had scouted out Cornelius. You think you have reasons to dislike somebody? You think you have reasons to write someone off before you meet them? What if your best friend, your best friend, the person you look up more to, more to in life more than anyone else, is tortured and killed by a bunch of men wearing plumes and weird armor with nipples on them, and then God sends you to go and witness to a guy wearing a plume and weird armor with nipples on him. It's the last person on the planet Earth that you should want to proclaim the love of God to. If I'm Peter, I'm walking up and I'm saying, I hope you go straight to hell, and I'm walking away. Wouldn't you? Let's be honest. I think I have reasons to to dislike somebody. I have no reasons compared to Peter. Peter has every reason to hate Cornelius with perfect hatred. And what does he do? He takes the lesson that the Holy Spirit has placed in his heart and he says, you know what? God has told me I can't call anybody unclean or profane. I can't. So Cornelius, what can I do for you? What he does in that moment is he meets this man with grace and kindness when he has every reason not to. He has every reason to write him off. He has every reason to scout him out. He has every reason to turn away and walk away. And instead, he meets him with an open hand and with grace and kindness. He doesn't make assumptions. He doesn't make judgments. Who are you going to meet with grace and kindness this week? Who's the person in your life that you've already written off, that you've scouted out, and the Holy Spirit is saying, didn't I tell you that no one, no one, no one, is unclean or profane. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. The Holy Spirit will ask us to lead with grace and kindness. And there's some days I don't like that. Do you? Do you love always being the gracious one? Do you love always extending the hand of hospitality? Or there's some days that you just want to write everybody off. But the story's just getting started. Peter meets Cornelius with grace and kindness. And what does Cornelius say next? Picking up in verse 30. Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately and you 
have been kind enough to come. So, now all of us, all his friends and family, everyone under Cornelius' leadership, and he's a centurion, that's a lot of people, all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all the Lord has commanded you to say. Cornelius was ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, not because Peter laid out the best testimony, not because Peter was right, not because Peter had it all figured out, but because Peter started with grace and kindness. Can we move the fence with grace and kindness, and can we trust the Holy Spirit to work from there? Because here's the fun thing. I'm going to stop reading Scripture for the morning, and we're almost done, but this story is actually just getting started. That that moment when Cornelius says, we're here to listen to whatever the Lord has commanded you to say, that is the beginning of everything in the early church. Because the Holy Spirit, what it does next is as they're listening to this gospel news, as, as Cornelius and his friends and family are listening, the Holy Spirit pours itself out upon those listening and they begin to exude the gifts of the Holy Spirit in view of Peter and his friends. And then the Holy Spirit convicts Peter and his friends in that moment, and they realize that they are witnessing something miraculous. And the Holy Spirit sends them back to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit leads them to present a case to the temple in Jerusalem that, you know, maybe these Gentile guys aren't so bad after all. Maybe they can follow the Holy Spirit because we saw it with our own two eyes. Guys, we preached the good news of Jesus to them, and they began living like Christians. They still ate the same, and none of them are circumcised. But guys, I don't think that matters Because they've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit moves in the council of Jerusalem, a gathering, not unlike the gatherings we have today where they argued and they debated, but the Holy Spirit made clear that maybe there was something to this Christian faith that needed to get outside of Jerusalem. And the church decided that Gentiles could be Christians too. And they didn't have to be Jewish first. And everything changed for the Christian movement. And it took off like wildfire. And it spread all over the Mediterranean. And all these communities full of Gentiles that otherwise never would have heard a word about who Jesus is. And I'm willing to bet, is anybody in here ethnically Jewish? Most of us, most of us come from a lineage of Gentiles. And we are sitting in this room today. Why? Because Peter and Cornelius met each other with grace and kindness. One conversation, one conversation guided by the Holy Spirit, and you're sitting in this room in Dallas, Texas today. So don't tell me what the Holy Spirit cannot do. Don't tell me that this stuff is bigger than us. Don't tell me that we can't change anything because we're too small. I know that none of us are going to go to general conference in a year. I know none of us are going to have a seat at the table. We're not going to be there casting votes. But let me tell you right now, the Holy Spirit can change everything with one conversation. If you are willing to trust in the Holy Spirit, if we could be willing to trust in what the Holy Spirit can do for our holiness movement, if we could trust that the Holy Spirit is letting down a sheet again and saying, maybe we need to move the fence, if we could trust that leading with grace and kindness can actually change the world. If we could trust that a conversation this week could simply change a life, what could we do? Or better yet, what could the Holy Spirit do with a people like that? That's the question I have for us today. 
If we're going to be a holiness movement, then we've got to remember the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember what it means to trust and what it means to move fences and what it means to lead with grace and kindness. It's not complicated and it's not simple. It's difficult, but it's the best work we could be doing. Let us pray. Holy God, as we receive your word this morning, as it makes its way from our head to our heart, allow your truth to take root deep inside our souls. Remind us of the work of the Holy Spirit, the ways in which you are moving unseen, unnoticed in places we can't even imagine yet, the ways in which you are working through other people whom we don't even know who will change our lives next week. God, remind us the power of a gracious and kind conversation, especially with someone whom we have every reason to despise. God, remind us what it means to trust. To trust that maybe we don't need to have everything figured out. Maybe we don't need to have all the answers. Maybe we don't need to have all the information. Maybe all we need to be is willing. All we need to be is led. Led not by ourselves, led not by our own understanding, but led by you by your spirit who works in all things for good. God, we thank you for the gifts of the spirit this morning. We thank you for the ways we see them lived out in this local church, for the grace and kindness that we've been met with here, for the holy conversations we get to have inside these walls, for the ways in which that you are leading this church that you call Lover's Lane, the way you're leading us and teaching us and guiding us to love all people, Cornelius too, and Peter too, and each of us too, loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for this. We praise you for this. We live for this. In your son's name we pray. Amen.